Chapter 27 More Than a Teacher Great teachers give instructions to their disciples, but has any teacher ever made his death the pattern of theirs? This is impossible, because no earthly teacher could foresee the manner of his death, nor was death ever the reason why he came to teach. Socrates, in all his wisdom, never told the young philosophers of Athens to drink hemlock juice because he would die by it. But our Lord did make his cross the basis of his first instruction to his apostles. It is because this fact is so often missed, and for the moment was missed by the apostles themselves, that the true vision of the Christ is beclouded. Even when he acted as a teacher, he made the cross to cast its shadow over his apostles. The sufferings they would endure would be identical to what he would endure. He had been called the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world, and since they were identified with him, he warned them of their fate. I am sending you out to be like sheep among wolves. Matthew 10.16 They were to beware of the fickleness of men. When he multiplied bread, the crowds immediately sought to make him their economic king instead of taking the miracle as a sign of his divinity. At the beginning of his public life, when he wrought miracles, the attachment of the apostles was equally shallow. And John wrote, Jesus would not give them his confidence. He had knowledge of them all, and did not need assurances about any man, because he could read men's hearts. John 2.24 They would accept him as a wonder worker for their eyes, but not as a light of their souls. He would not give himself to any credulity based simply on the spectacular. Knowing that popularity toward him would turn into popularity against him within five days' time, he said to his apostles, do not put your trust in men. Matthew 10.17 As he had no illusions about what the world would do to him, so he had no illusions about those who would be linked closest to him as branches to the vine. No sage or mystic, no Buddha or Confucius has ever believed that his teaching would so awaken the antagonism of men as to bring about his violent death. But more important still, no human teacher has ever believed that his disciples would suffer a similar fate just because they were his disciples. Mediocrity never arouses such hatred. Animals generally do not destroy their own species, neither does man in ordinary relations. But man being the golden mean between matter and spirit has the power, however, to destroy both. He uproots the plants and slaughters the animals which are beneath him in dignity, but he can also hate and even kill whatever is above him in dignity. If in his pride he considers God as a challenge, he will deny him, and if God becomes man and therefore makes himself vulnerable, he will crucify him. But our Lord did not shrink from painting a microcosmic crucifixion for his followers as he paints a macrocosmic crucifixion for himself. What is of the world, the world never opposes. What is of God, the spirit of the world opposes, maligns, persecutes, and crucifies. The ransom he would pay for mankind would lead him to two distinct courts of justice. In the interval between trials, he would be scourged. So too the apostles and all their successors through the centuries must expect nothing better. Men will hand you over to courts of judgment and scourge you in their synagogues, Yes, and you will be brought before governors and kings on my account, so that you can bear witness before them and before the Gentiles. Matthew 10.17 The apostles were not yet persecuted, nor were they annoyed very much before the crucifixion and Pentecost. But he told them the kind of treatment they were to expect of men later on. Hardly prepared for what would happen to him, how could they even faintly imagine what would happen to themselves? This hatred of the world, he warned, would be disguised. They would be accused on judicial grounds, that is, hauled before courts in mock trials, charged with imperialism or perverting the nation. The instinct of justice in the human heart is so deep that, even in great deeds of injustice, the villains wear the mantle of justice. It was not so much that isolated bigots would persecute, rather it is that men would organize juridically against them, his disciples, as they did against him. Though the mask and disguise of the courts would be justice, the real reason for the hate would be the evil in their hearts. Rejection lies in this, that when the light came into the world, men preferred darkness to light. 
preferred it because their doings were evil. Anyone who acts shamefully hates the light, will not come into the light, for fear that his doings will be found out. Whereas the man whose life is true comes to the light, so that his deeds may be seen for what they are, deeds done in God. John 3.19 Men of the world did not begin with a conscious hatred of the light, because truth is as native to the mind as light to the eye. But when that light shone on their souls and revealed their sins, they hated it just as the bank robber hates the searchlight the policeman has turned on him. The truth which he brought, men recognized as a claim on their allegiance, because they were made for it. But since they had perverted their natures by evil behavior, his truth stirred their consciences, and they despised it. All their habits of life, their dishonesties, and baser passions roused them in violent opposition to that light. Many a sick man will not undergo a medical examination for fear the doctor may tell him something he does not like. He told them, therefore, that he was not a teacher asking for a disciple who would parrot his sayings. He was a savior who first disturbed a conscience and then purified it. But many would never get beyond hating the disturber. The light is no boon except to those who are men of good will. Their lives may be evil, but at least they want to be good. His presence, he said, was a threat to sensuality, avarice, and lust. When a man has lived in a dark cave for years, his eyes cannot stand the light of the sun. So the man who refuses to repent turns against mercy. No one can prevent the sun from shining, but every man can pull down the blinds and shut it out. Our Lord next told them that in the continuing persecution against him, they were not to be concerned as to how to answer their persecutors. No written-out statements, no prepared manuscripts will be necessary. He promised to speak to them through his Spirit. Only when they hand you over thus, do not consider anxiously what you are to say or how you are to say it. Words will be given you when the time comes. It is not you who speak, it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Matthew 10.19 Foretelling, without telling how, that he would be betrayed by one who was so close to him, he gave them a better view of the cross by telling them that betrayers will be of their own household, that brothers will betray brothers. And you will be hated by all men, because you bear my name. Matthew 10.22 The heifers which brought home the ark out of the land of the Philistines were offered up to God as a sacrifice. Such would seem to be the reward for being identified with him. As St. Paul put it, The grace that has been granted you is that of suffering for Christ's sake, not merely believing in him. Philippians 1.29 But as in his life there was never the hour of Calvary without the day of victory, so neither would their defeat be permanent. That man will be saved who endures to the last. Matthew 10.22 It is by endurance that you will secure possession of your souls. Luke 21.18 The possession of a soul means the undisturbed mastery of oneself, which is the secret of inner peace, as distinguished from a thousand agitations which make it fearful, unhappy, and disappointed. Only when the soul is possessed can anything else be enjoyed. Our Lord here meant patience and adversity, trial and persecution. At the end of three hours on the cross, he would so possess his soul that he would render it back to the Heavenly Father. At this point in his discourse to the apostles, he made clear that since he came to die and not live, so they must be prepared to die and not live. If the world gave him a cross, then they must expect one. If the world would say he had a devil, they could expect to be called devils. A disciple is no better than his master, a servant than his Lord. Enough that the disciple should fare like his master, the servant like his lord. If they have cried Beelzebub at the master of the house, they will do it much more readily to the men of his household. Matthew 10.24 But the power to do harm would never affect the souls of the apostles. As his own resurrection would be a proof of that, he now gave them anticipated assurance. The body can be injured without the consent of the soul, but the soul cannot be injured without its own consent. The only thing to be feared is losing, not human life, but the divine life which is God. And there is no need to fear those who kill the body but have no means of killing the soul. Fear him more who has the power to ruin body and soul in hell. Matthew 10.28 There would be a vindication for the wrong done them, and all the hidden things would be revealed. 
The mercy of God that watches over the sparrows and counts the hairs of our heads had them under a watchful eye in providence. He warned them not to be secret disciples, nor compromising, nor too liberal in confessing his divinity. Becoming bolder as he paraded the cross before them, he turned to the analogy of the sword. He would be no peacemaker from the outside, neither would they. When they preached him, they would evoke opposition, and thus cause all the enemies of goodness to unsheathe their swords. And now whoever acknowledges me before men, I too will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever disowns me before men, before my Father in heaven, I too will disown him. Matthew 10.32 Do not imagine I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring a sword, not peace. Matthew 10.34 There are two kinds of swords, the swords that pierce outwardly and destroy, and the swords that pierce inwardly and mortify. What he meant was that his very coming would provoke swords on the part of his enemies. James heard these very words about a sword and later on would have them verified when Herod would slay him with his sword as he became the first apostle to be martyred. Simone Weil paraphrased the words of our Lord that he who takes the sword will perish by the sword by saying that he who takes a cross will perish by the sword because the cross will create opposition. Next, the apostles were forewarned that those who accepted him would be hated by the members of their own families. The gospel would stir up strife between those who would accept him and those who would reject him. The unconverted mother would hate her converted daughter, and the unconverted father would hate the converted son, so that a man's bitterest foes would be those of his own household. But they were not to think that all this was a loss. There is a double life, the physical and the spiritual. Tertullian noted that when the Romans put the early Christians to death, the pagan appeal always was, Save your life, do not throw your life away. But as he would lay down his life and take it up again, so too what they would lose biologically, they would save spiritually. What was sacrificed to him was never lost. They did not understand what he was saying, but he was summarizing for them again his cross and resurrection. He who secures his own life will lose it. It is the man who loses his life for my sake that will secure it. Matthew 10.39 The apostles had often seen the Romans, who possessed their land, crucify many of their own people. Our Lord's words referred to the custom of criminals carrying a cross before they were crucified upon it. That the cross was the crowning incident in his life, the primary reason for his coming, is evident once again as he invited them to the crucifixion. It is unthinkable that he would urge them to a ransoming death unless he himself had willed it for himself as the lamb slain from the beginning of the world. Later on, Peter and Andrew would understand what he meant that day, when they too would be crucified. Immediately after Pentecost, when Christ sent his Spirit upon the apostles, the full meaning of the crucifixion dawned on Peter, and he summarized what he heard in the pre-Calvary instructions of our Lord. This man you have put to death, but God raised him up again, releasing him from the pangs of death. It was impossible that death should have mastery over him. Acts 2.23 the cross was no accident in his life. It would be none in theirs or his followers either. <laughs>